First of all, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online as well. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. Uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan Overall. Um, I would also like to thank Pastors Javier and Melinda, who are away in Japan right now, just for the opportunity to share this morning. They've entrusted me with, with speaking here today, and so just really believe for God to move in a powerful way. I also want to acknowledge a few other people here on the front row from my left to my right. Uh, my wife, Jessica, my beautiful wife, Jessica. We've been married, I said in the first service, three and a half years, but actually two and a half. So we're going on three. So I don't want to jump ahead too much. But also here this morning, my sister, Rachel, who's here. She asked me not to introduce her, but I forgot, so... And also my mom, Denise Overall. In the first service, my grandmother was here on the front row, but my Aunt Angie Archie is here as well, just showing support. I just want to thank them for the prayers and the support, and really the prayers and support of the eldership here at the church, just praying even for today, believing that God would move in a mighty and powerful way. And I'm ready. Amen. I believe that God... God has a word that he would want us to go deeper in him. I believe no matter where we are, I know there's some in this room that maybe this is your first time in church or maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church, but I believe that God is calling all of us to take that step. God is calling all of us to jump in. It's like sitting on the outside of the pool watching everybody have fun, but God is calling us to jump in and to seek him. Amen? And so in this last season, we've been going through a series called The Journey. And the journey of Jesus, which leads ultimately all the way to the cross. Amen. And we'll be celebrating that in a couple of weeks. How can you, it's hard to believe that Easter is almost here. We're a couple of weeks away. But as we celebrate that, what we're celebrating is the only thing possible that could give us access to what we were just singing about. It's the cross that gives us access to experience the holy of holies. It's the cross that bears the weight of the world that's been placed upon us through sin. It's through the cross that Jesus bore that for us. And as we celebrate that, we are laying down all of the things that would try to keep us oppressed, in bondage, held captive. And I really believe, even as we today, as we look at the story of baptism, they're, they're really five key moments in the life of Jesus. We see his birth when he, when he came into this earth. We see his baptism. We see the transfiguration. We see his death on the cross, his resurrection. We also see his ascension. These are five major points in the life of Jesus. But today we're going to be highlighting the moment that he was baptized. Today we're going to be looking at the truth and the keys that God placed within the act of baptism that weren't just for that day 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just a a one-time occurrence. It's not just a one-time occurrence even in our life as believers. We believe here in Shiloh that baptism represents the full immersion into a life with Jesus. A washing, a cleansing. John the Baptist came and said that I baptize you with water. But there's one who's coming who's mightier than I, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it's that measure that God is baptizing us in today. I tell people, if you want to be sprinkled, 
Go ahead and be sprinkled. But I don't want a sprinkling of Jesus. I don't want a sprinkling of his resurrection power. I want the full immersion that he has for me. And so even as we highlight the story of Jesus' baptism, I really, God began putting on my heart a scripture this week that begins to speak to the work that Jesus came to do. Ultimately, we know that he came to die on the cross for our sins. He performed many miracles during the time that he was here. But there's a scripture that I want to open up with this morning in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And this this is a, a story where Jesus is in the synagogue. He's sharing with the local synagogue that he grew up with in Nazareth. And Jesus begins this time by reading out of the book of Isaiah. Jesus says, In verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And when you look at that scripture, there's a few key things that come out immediately. The first one is to proclaim the good news. That Jesus not only came to teach and to proclaim the good news, but to live it out. He is the gospel. His very life, his very sacrifice is the gospel. His resurrection is the gospel. It's the the good news that we celebrate. Jesus also said that I have come so that you may have life and life more abundantly. But even before that, he says that I have been anointed. That there was a special anointing. Jesus obviously was fully God, fully man. But he was anointed. We're going to see that it was prophesied. It was foretold of the anointing that would rest upon him in a special way for the work that he was called to do. But the words I really want to key in on are the fact that he came to give liberty to the captives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty to set the captives free. Then he says, recovering the sight of the blind. I believe not only is God coming to set us free spiritually, the bondage, the weight, but also to take off the scales, the blinders that are on our eyes. We see in the book of Acts when Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, was saved and encountered Jesus, that scales were over his eyes and they came off. So that he could see the revelation of who who Jesus really was. And I believe in our lives that God would want to take us to such a deeper place where those scales, whatever they may be, life, our past, things that we're still being renewed by, that God, through the work of Jesus, would want to take those scales off of our eyes. We also see that he says to set the oppressed free. Now there's a lot of us who are dealing with oppression, Depression, you name all the pressions, the the press that would try to come against us. You know, there's a saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get tougher. I like Jesus' version better. He says, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. And the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not physical, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's in the unseen world. And so even as we're going through baptism today, we're talking about something, for the most part, that's a physical act, but it's of the unseen. Paul talks about the unseen things, that it's hard for the natural mind to discern what is happening. 
in the spirit realm. But by faith, we walk forward and we move in that. And even as I was praying into this scripture here, Lord just began to pop a couple of illustrations into the mind of the things that we can deal with, even as believers. Because all of us here today, some, maybe you've been baptized. Some of you today, you're believers, but maybe you have not yet taken that step of baptism. Maybe you're here today, again, for the first time, and you have not committed your life to Christ. And you haven't been baptized. But I believe for all of us here today that God has something in his word that would draw us, demonstrate to us the approach that he's called us to take to go deeper. Amen? And so we see, even in the life of Jesus, that everything he did was a demonstration of what that looks like. We see that he walked in obedience. We see that he walked in humility. And so as we look at what he came to do in our lives, I believe that today he's going to break some of those things free. Amen? And so God gave me just a couple of illustrations and you know, just thinking through what it looks like, even as a believer. And sometimes you, you may find yourself just like your computer. If you ever bought a new computer, you know when you first get it, that thing is humming on all cylinders. All the, all the apps open up right away. And then after some time, the mouse, it doesn't click and respond the same kind of way. You find yourself double-clicking and triple-clicking and getting up, making some coffee, coming back. And in the days of dial-up, that was part of the stress that we dealt with in, in some of these third-world problems. But we see that... Even in that, something that started off as new over time began to become sluggish. Sometimes in our walk, we can feel like that. When we were saved, every prayer was answered. Everything that we did moved forward fluidly. We prayed for things. We stepped out in things. And God was just moving. The, 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 The clicks were responding right away. Another analogy, sometimes like traffic. Now, we all live in the Bay Area, so we realize how bad traffic can be. What used to take 10 minutes now takes 20. A commute that used to take an hour takes two hours, sometimes three. If there's an accident or if there's rain, it could take all day. (laughs) And sometimes in life, we can feel stuck like we're in traffic. Like there's congestion that's keeping us from getting from point A to point B. We can even put in our GPS. We can have the blueprint, know where we're going, and still not be able to get there. And so there's something special, there's something great about the anointing of Jesus. And when it comes upon us, it breaks off every yoke. We can have the blueprint, we can have his word, but if his word does not come to life, then we can be stuck. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so even this morning, before we move forward, I just want to take the time, if you are hungry for more of God, if you are hungry and thirsty to move forward, you feel like you've been stuck, you feel like you need something to break off today, you feel like there's been a cloud over your life that's been hampering the atmosphere of your soul, then I want to come into agreement with prayer this morning. Remember several months ago, we had the Paradise Fires that were taking place up north, and the whole Bay Area was covered in soot and smoke. I'm a runner. I couldn't run outside. It, the, the air quality was, was unhealthy. Couldn't live and get around the same way that we were used to. And sometimes in our life, there can be pollution in the atmosphere of our mind that is toxic, that is holding us back, that's, that's keeping us from breathing, and, and our respiratory system in the Lord is not fully functioning. 
But even as the rains came, after several weeks of that heavy cloud that was over our area, as the rains came and washed that away, I believe that the blood of Jesus is here today. I believe that the waters of baptism represent that. And that the Holy Spirit with fire will come into our lives and wash us clean. Wash us anew. Burn inside of us with a fresh fervor and a fresh passion. So if you're hungry for more today, I just want to pray that God would open up his word to us. That God would deposit something rich. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord God. We ask that our eyes would not just see your word, Lord, as we've seen it in the past, but that you give us spiritual eyes to see and to hear what you have to say. Lord God, I pray that you would bless your word. Bring it forth, Lord God, with power and with might. And I pray even an atmosphere of freedom today, Lord God, that there are those who walked in here today, Lord, that will leave not the same. Lord God, that your spirit is here, your anointing is here to break off the chains, Lord God. And I just pray right now just a a baptism, Lord, a fresh baptism of your spirit to come upon us, oh God. A fresh anticipation. If you're hungry for more, just begin to thank the Lord this morning. Begin to call on his name. Begin to sing. Begin to cry out to the Lord today, for he is worthy. As we see in this story, as we turn to our our Bibles, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to highlight the story of Jesus being baptized. You know, a lot of times it's easy to kind of move past the story of Jesus' baptism. We see it as obviously a great moment. We see it as something that he did as an example for us. He left a pattern for us. He demonstrated what it looks like to walk by faith, to trust God even in the waters of baptism, even though he was Jesus. He did not have to be baptized, technically. But spiritually, he wanted to lay a foundation. He wanted to leave us a blueprint for what it would look like to live this life by faith. And even as as I was talking about the cross, the cross was a foreshadowing of what was to come. But we see in baptism the same representation symbolically of what he was coming to do. And so as we look at this scripture, we see that God puts on an amazing display, one of his glory. We see the the fullness of the Trinity. We see the Father. We see the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in one moment. And that's a reminder to us that even as we have crossed over into those waters of baptism, that that's the same promise and the same power, the same anointing that we walk in. And so as we look at at Matthew chapter 3, We're jumping kind of into the middle of the story of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, just to kind of set the context, he was the last, what's considered to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was preaching of an age, crying out in the wilderness, and preparing the way for Jesus. And he even says in a few scriptures before this, that I baptize you with water. Now, he was, first of all, he was speaking of the limitations of his baptism. Because it was only physical. It was only of water. But he said, there's one who's mightier than I who's coming. And so what we find here in the scripture is where Jesus shows up. Amen. When Jesus shows up, something happens. Amen. 
So what we see here, starting in verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Now, if you look, I've never been to Israel. I know some of you in the room have, but just doing some research, that journey probably could have taken Jesus up to two days to walk. Now, I've never walked anywhere for two days. I've never walked anywhere for a day, or I've done a couple of hikes in Yosemite that lasted for a few hours, but to walk somewhere up to two days, there had to be some purpose. There had to be some, some definite destiny behind what Jesus was coming to do. And so we see in verse 14, but John tried to prevent him, saying that I have need to be baptized by you. And why do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And for us, as we walk through baptism, we are fulfilling the righteous path, the righteous call that God has called us to walk in. Jesus was coming to establish that for us, but as we walk in that path, we are walking to fulfill the righteousness of Jesus upon our lives. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have it. It's like not having the money in your bank account. Somebody credits that money into your account. And so we are walking in the righteousness of Jesus to be fulfilled in our lives. Amen? Then it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now think about it. Think about Jesus who had lived here on this earth as a carpenter, as the son of Mary and Joseph. People probably saw that he was kind of special. You know, some of the things that he did as a kid. Maybe he healed a couple of his friends who broke their leg. I don't know what, you know, we see the first miracle that Jesus did was the wedding uh, where he turned the water into wine. But we don't know what kind of life he lived and what special things he may have done before that. But in this moment in time, God decided to use the baptism as a time to announce to the world, all those who are present, that this is the Son of God. This is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, who was sitting in eternity, stepped out of eternity into time, our reality, and put on the human flesh. And in this moment in time, that he wasn't just showing up for a pool party. He was showing up to demonstrate and to initiate something in us and for all of time. And so what we see here, again, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. The appearance, the mere appearance of Jesus on the scene was not only prophesied and foretold, but it was anticipated by the believers. We see continually in the Old Testament the people of God were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They were anticipating the coming of the anointed one. Isaiah prophesied about it. David prophesied about it in the book of Psalms. And we see in Galatians, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. So God allowed the fullness of time, the fullness of sacrifices being offered by priests, the fullness of miracles being performed by his prophets, the word going out, his people being put into captivity and, 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 and re receiving breakthrough. 
He allowed all of these things to take place over the course of probably some 4,000 years and allowed the cup of time to draw its fullness. Sometimes in our life, we can relate to that because the fullness of time may be something that we're believing for. It may be something that we've been praying for over time, and it feels like that cup, everything that could happen wrong has happened. Everything that could happen right has happened to other people. We've been waiting. We've been pressing. There's been a, a birthing inside of us, but we're waiting for it to come forth. And what we see here is that all of humanity was waiting for the coming of the king. And when we look at verse, verse 14, we see Jesus coming. And we also see that this is the coronation of the king. God obviously audibly announcing that this is Jesus, his son. And in our modern times, we can relate to this in the, in the form of the inauguration, our presidential inauguration, where our president has been elected, and he steps foot, he takes the oath of office, and he recites an oath, and he steps into a position. He steps into a place of authority, and it's announced so that the world can see. It's not done. It's purposely not done in secret so that the world, so that the country can see the announcement and the crossing over of a new leader. And so we see that in the life of Jesus, that not only was he still the carpenter, but he was stepping into a graduation of what God had called him to. And I believe for us that God, there are seasons where we stay at a certain level, but God is calling us to a higher place where he calls us to step out by faith and to proclaim that God, not only has he sent me, but he's called me to do his good works. And so again, we see that Jesus arrived with specific and definite purpose to be baptized. I mean, he came two days worth, worth of a walk to be baptized. I remember a few years ago, four years ago, my wife and I had just completed pre-engagement counseling. And we were uh, in, the, in the process of, of dating and then preparing to get married. And she moved back to South Africa during that period of time. And so during that time, people were asking me questions. When are you guys going to get married? What's going to happen? And, and so time continued to elapse. Talking about the fullness of time, that time was, was very full. The cup, I could feel it shaking over and water spilling out. But it was, four, it was about four years ago that I, I planned a trip to South Africa. And during that time, you know, I, I knew what my purpose was. I knew what, that I had a definite goal in mind. She shared it with her family. There was a big party for me when I got there. I was excited. I told my family here really what I, what I intended to do. But it was during that trip that I got a chance to see a lot of great things. The country's beautiful. I, I suggest you go there someday. Her family was beautiful. I had a great time with them, meeting all of her uncles, cousins. But that wasn't my purpose. The purpose during that trip was to demonstrate to her the commitment that I wanted to make to her. And the message that I brought was in the form of a ring. It wasn't just me. It was in the form of a ring. And although we did not get married for another 11 months, that act, and trust me, it was by faith. <laughs> that act, because all her uncles were there, cousins, they were all standing around. So if anything went wrong, I'm in the furthest place you could be from Oakland, California. So... But it was during that moment that it was a foreshadowing of the very thing that I had committed to in my heart. It wasn't just to stay at engagement, that in my heart and in her heart, we were committing to each other 
for something much greater. And so we even see in Jesus, when he was baptized, it was a foreshadowing of the death, the burial, the resurrection that he has for us. It was a foreshadowing of something that was even much greater to come. And the special thing about that is that he has invited us to join him in this journey. So even as we talk about the journey of Jesus, the special thing about it is that it's not just a historical linear thing that we look back in time like we're reading a history book but the journey of Jesus is something that did not end at the cross it's something that did not end 2,000 years ago but it continues and it's a journey that we have been invited to the party it's a journey that we are walking in as his church as his people today he has given us that invitation but what's the key ingredient by faith So I wasn't there when Jesus was baptized. I wasn't there when he died on the cross. But I believe in my heart. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So if you're looking for evidence, the evidence lies in what you cannot see. So even with our baptism, baptism is something that we do not see. Even the daily work that God is doing to cleanse us, something that we do not see. We see it. When we have the tank and we're all wet, and I've taught the class here at Shiloh for probably about 10 years, we always joke, if you want to be dipped twice, we'll dip you twice. If you want to stay down a little bit longer, we'll keep you down a little bit longer so you can show, so we can see some bubbles flowing out of the water, get the extra stuff out of you. We baptize a lot of people, pregnant people. I was talking with Alex and Jen uh, in the first service a couple years ago, baptized them, and uh, she was pregnant, and actually the next day she gave birth. So <laughs> baptism, will, <laughs> it was a two for one. <laughs> baptism will literally birth something new in you, but I believe that that is the spiritual effect that God has on our body, yes. that God would even physically begin to transform us transform our countenance, transform our joy so that we're walking truly in a greater measure of the newness of life. And we see that. We see that throughout the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have a new nature which now desires to grow like Jesus. But sometimes that can be a a complicated thing to understand when we're a believer. Not just a new believer, but even a mature believer. Is realizing that we're still going through a process where the new nature is developing. It's something that we should understand. To not understand that is to, you know, look at a baby who was born and not be upset with it not being able to walk, not being able to talk. But there's a maturing process when a baby is born that it goes through a process of development. Its lungs are forming. Its brain is developing. It's learning how to walk. Its motor skills are coming together. And so when the new nature comes into us, there is a process that God begins in our life. It's a new operating system. I shared in the first service, a couple years ago, I, I crossed over from Android to iPhone. And I had a few friends... As some of you may have done the other crossover from iPhone, but I think statistics show that that's only like 4% of people. 
but uh, that make the switch. But the interesting thing about that whole transition that it, it took my mind some time to adjust to that transition. I was used to the interface and, and, and the way that I would make calls, text messages on the old phone, on the old operating system. When I got the new phone, it took some time to kind of reorder my mind. And what it did, though, by making that decision, not looking back, it meant that I was committed to following through with that process. It meant that I, I was going to commit myself to learning, to adjusting, to using that new system. And even in our life as a believer, baptism is that public declaration where we take that step. And not just a, a closed, behind closed doors confession where I accepted Jesus, but I'm publicly coming out to declare not only is Jesus my Lord and Savior, but I'm going to join him in the journey. I'm going to join him in the power that he walked in. And I'm expecting for God to do a work in my life. I'm expecting to see the things that were spoken of, the things that we see in Scripture come to life in my life. And a lot of times we live in a society that has a fear of commitment. It can be very scary to take a step into something that is unknown. It can be very even scarier to make a commitment into something where we have to leave something behind. And that's what baptism also represents. It represents to us the cutting away of our heart, the cutting away of our flesh. Not only to set us apart, if you were to look inside of our heart spiritually, you'd see it. Jesus also sprinkles his blood on our heart spiritually, something we cannot see, but by faith we believe in. We believe in the work and the power of that. But that circumcision represents even what God had commanded his people to do, the males of a certain age in the Old Testament. See, he first brought the physical so that he could show us and reveal to us the spiritual. So thank God he doesn't re require that in the same way, but he's circumcising our heart to show that we are cutting away, we are leaving behind, we are burying in the waters of baptism who we used to be, the old nature. There's a line in the sand that we've drawn, we've stepped over, and we're not looking back at who we used to be. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, this morning, we all put on something. I don't have any evidence that, that speaks otherwise. We're all wearing something, a jacket, a shirt, a dress. Everybody's dressed in here today. But we intentionally, in our mind, decided and picked out what we would put on. And what Paul is saying in, in, in this scripture is that when we are baptized, we are putting on Christ. Now, I grew up playing sports, Little League, and I remember the first time that I, I actually, I had a uniform before I actually played on a professional, or uh, uh, an organized team, but the, the greatest joy that I had was one Christmas getting a uniform. And the special thing about the uniform, if you guys remember back in the day, there used to be the, the wish book. You know, nowadays they have Amazon, and, but I had the wish book, the Sears wish book, and I had circled in the wish book the gift that I wanted, and I put it under my mom's door. And she actually came through, and it was, a, it was a baseball uniform. But the special thing about that uniform wasn't just the fabric, but it was what it represented. It was my favorite team at the time, the San Francisco Giants. It was Barry Bonds, and, and it was something that I, I, I wanted to live up to, I wanted to aspire to. And, and from that day forward, he became one of my favorite players. 
fact, I would stand in the mirror and try to swing the bat like him. I played baseball all the way through college. And I tried to model myself after that. Because there was, there was something special to me about the uniform that I was putting on. And so when we put on Christ, there's something special that we are putting on. It's not just the cloth. It's not just the uniform. But it's the anointing that comes with it. And we see that when we walk in that, we are representing Christ. Just like when we represent, when we wear our favorite team's jersey. Which professional sports, they're very smart. They know how to get us. And I'm, part of my old nature is recovering from hours of watching sports and sports center. And I used to get baseball digest as a kid. And I recited that. I knew every player, every statistic. But at a certain age, I had to leave that stuff behind. But I still grew up as a kid enjoying sports. Probably baseball more than others, football. Basketball was, was kind of because the Warriors during that time were not the best team. If you know, if you remember, <laughs> season after season, they, they barely struggled to get 20, 25 wins. And so all of this time, talk about the fullness of time. When that day finally came and they won the championship, the day that I looked forward to for many years, it was special. It was good. But it only lasted for a moment. Yeah, I tried to continue it. I went to the parade a couple of days later. I put on my, I didn't have a jersey, but I put on my shirt to celebrate and to try to continue the celebration, to try to continue the, the excitement of victory that would soon fade away. And the teams, they're smart because we buy their jerseys, we buy their food, we go to the games, we buy expensive tickets. We actually pay more to get closer to the action. We pay more to get closer to the event that's happening on the court. And so I believe even as a, as a type and a shadow that God is calling, he's created an arena, he's created a, a, a course of time, he's demonstrated through his son, he's demonstrated victory, and he's calling us to come closer to that work. He's calling us to go from the upper deck to the court side. And throughout scripture, Jesus, we see as a type and a shadow of this work. Paul describes what baptism is in Romans 6, 3 through 5. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? So we're joining Jesus, again, spiritually. Things that we cannot see, things we cannot discern. We're joining him in his death. We're dying to our old nature. We're dying to ourselves. Therefore, we have been buried with him through the baptism into his death. So the burial represents the death, the killing off of that old nature, that old mindset that is yet to be transformed. And then we see the great part is that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in newness of life. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So what God was speaking through, through Paul in this scripture was a description of us not only standing as a, as a bystander, not just standing in the seats in the upper deck or even on courtside and experiencing it from afar, but he's talking about an experience in Christ where not only are we in the game, but we are joined together side by side in this life with Jesus. We're wearing the same jersey. We're on the same team. And we're sharing the same victory. And that is a personal experience that God has given us to enjoy in this life. To see his power, to see his work through us. 
But that work has a process. And God is very detailed in the Bible showing us what that process looked like. Showing us that we are under remodel. And I don't know if any of you have ever remodeled your house, remodeled your kitchen, even a bathroom, something as simple as a bathroom. Sometimes you start tearing out walls and you start seeing things that are unexpected. I worked in construction for a period of time, and I'll tell you, you open up a wall of a million-dollar house that looks beautiful, and they have the worst dry rot. You can put your finger through it. You see all kinds of termites, rats, and you know, all kinds of, of ugly stuff. But once that process was begun, there's always a saying that once you open it up, you either got to fix it or it, it, it's, it's mayhem. And that's how it is in Christ. Once he begins the work in us, there's no going back. There's no closing it up. Because if you close up that wall that has dry rot, then that whole building is compromised. And so the work that God would want to do in us is getting into the crevices, getting into the areas that are not friendly, the things that you don't want to touch with your hands, that you want to wear with gloves. I used to wear a mask because the mold would have this, this nasty smell. But sometimes we, we've gotta, we have to allow God to work that process in us. And it's not a quick and easy fix. If you watch HGTV and think that it's, it's easy, it's simple. You go to Home Depot and then the guy who hosts the rehab show is there and says, you've been selected to get your, your kitchen fixed. They come in and they do it in a weekend. The, the process from beginning to end, they start tearing out walls. They have a whole team of people. They're putting the floor down. They make it seem easy. And if you watch that and then go to the reality, you realize how hard it is. You realize that it requires something called patience to have its perfect work so that the end blueprint can be demonstrated and come into being. And that's what God is telling us throughout his scripture. Paul, when he speaks to us about the patience, about abounding in contentment, that God has called us to be content in the process that he's developing in our lives. And that God just didn't begin this work in the New Testament. He just didn't begin it with Jesus. We see even in the Old Testament, we see a type of baptism in what was called Moses' tabernacle. And the reason why it's called Moses' tabernacle is because God gave Moses a specific blueprint for what it looked like for people to commune and to engage in fellowship with God. It was the physical demonstration of that here on this earth. Again, a physical representation of a spiritual thing that God is doing in us through Jesus Christ. And so we see it's a long course. I suggest you take it. Next time it's offered here at Shiloh. But we see that Jesus was the opening to, to, to the tabernacle. We see that there was the holy of holies, there was the inner court, there was the outer court. And the way that it was set up was so that those who went through deeper had a deeper encounter and experience with God. But what we see at the very beginning of that tabernacle is something that was called the bronze laver. And that bronze laver today represents baptism to us. The priests, before they could go into the holy of holies, had to wash themselves. They washed their hands, which represented their work, ministry, life, family, the things that we put our hands to. They, rep they washed their feet, which represented the journey that they had walked on. They had sandals, so their pe feet were probably a little bit dirty. But sometimes in our lives, the journey of life that we bring with us on our feet is a representation of where we've come from. And so we see God even gave us the tabernacle layout as a representation of how we come to him. 
And it wasn't just a one-time sacrifice. It wasn't just a one-time experience. But the priests would go daily. They would wash themselves daily. And that's a type to us that we wash ourselves daily in the word. We wash ourselves daily in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit through reading of his word, through praying, through experiencing a relationship with Jesus one-on-one. So whether you've been baptized before, this truth is still for you. I was baptized at the age of nine. And to this day, I can honestly say that when I go through the baptism of other people each time, it's like a, a new encounter. It's a fresh experience of what God would have through that experience. And so what we see in this is that God, throughout time, throughout history, is demonstrating to us what it looks like for his people to go deeper and to experience more of him. As I said earlier, I don't want just a sprinkling. I don't want just an outer court experience. I want to go all the way into the Holy of Holies, into his presence. And even as we were singing this morning of going into his throne room and experiencing the power of his presence, the power that it has to break things off of our lives, to break us free from oppression, depression, anxiety. We live in a world today that is taking more drugs for, for anxiety and depression. Children at a younger age that are, that are bound by these things. But I believe that the answers are not in what psychology has to say, not in what the, the, the pharmaceuticals we can take. I believe the answer is in experiencing more of God, experiencing a deeper relationship with him, and seeing that come to pass. Psalm 24, 3 through 6 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that generation who seeks the face of God, who's willing to ascend to that high place in the mountain, the hill of our Lord, to come into fellowship with him in a deeper way. And so again, we see this in the types and the patterns of baptism. That it represents to us the bearing of those old ways, of old habits, addictions, patterns, cycles that we continue to repeat. And so even if you're a new believer today, you're looking to take that step, that God is here to set you free. But sometimes the enemy can come and try to remind us of those things that have been buried. And those are the things that would try to hover over us like the cloud in the atmosphere to try to pollute us, pollute our mind include our will from fully serving and committing to God. And I believe for, for that, that God has called us, again, as we see daily, to that fresh cleansing, that fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as we see, as we look now, even in the, in the remaining moments of the service here this afternoon, the final three scriptures that we see where God highlighted baptism and what he did, and really the example that it is to us, we see that God poured out his spirit upon his son. He opened up the heavens. And so when we see that open heavens were, were there for Jesus, it wasn't just the parting of the clouds. If you look at the scripture and compare it to other references in the Greek, you see that the same reference of the opening of the clouds was the same reference that was used for the tearing of the veil in the temple. So it represented a, a tearing open of the heavens. It wasn't just the clouds, it was actually the heavenly dimension in the sky being opened up 
the audible voice of God coming down in that moment. It wasn't just, the, again, the clouds opening up and rain coming down or the sun shining. It was much greater than that. And so what we see here is that open heavens are something that God has in store for us. He was preparing his son to walk in a life, in a ministry, where the resources of heaven were fully available to him. And as we walk in this very same truth, that we are walking in that very same power that God is telling us as a reminder that I have opened my heavens upon you, that I am shining my light upon you to, to highlight you and to put the world on notice. Open heavens in our life, open heavens in our mind, open heavens in our families, in our finances. Second Corinthians, or actually Second Corinthians 3.18 says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the spirit of the Lord. So as we sit in that truth, as we meditate on the fact that God has opened his heavens above us, his glory is there, that as that scripture says, that we become transformed from glory to glory. It becomes attractive. It becomes contagious. People begin to see us and like, there's something different about you. I see it on your countenance. I see it in the way that you talk. I see it in the way that you respond to problems. I see it in the way that you respond to stress. When the going gets tough, the tough get tougher. When the opposition comes against you, I see a different look in your eyes. I see the eye of the tiger. The Rocky version, not the, not the song. We also see in, in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord says that I will open up to you his good treasure. The heavens to give you the rain for your land in its season. And to bless all the work of your, of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. So what God is saying in that scripture as a promise to us is that not only we pour out our blessings, but we will not have to be beholden a debtor to the things of this world. That he has set us free. He's given us a new measure of freedom. And then we see that God pours out his Holy Spirit on Jesus, something that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah 42.1. It says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That God has put his anointing upon Jesus, but also as we join him, as we stand united with Christ in this very same faith, that we are uniting with this measure of the Holy Spirit. We are uniting with a work on the inside of who God created us to be, to walk in a greater power. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you, according to his riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That God is looking to empower you. If you've been feeling like your battery is low, your spirit has been running on, on empty, on fumes, that he is here to ignite and to regenerate your inner man with his spirit. Not only for a one-time experience, but he wants to continually walk and shadow, overshadow you with his glory. And lastly, what we see in the encounter of Jesus when he was baptized is the affirmation of the Father. One of the most important things that a child can grow up with is the affirmation of the Father. There's something special about the nurturing of the mother, the nurturing of the Father. But even scientists would agree 
that there's something special about the words and the affirmation that's placed on a child's life by the father. And so we see again that God took the time, he took the opportunity in time and in history to display his love, his open heavens, but also the affirmation of his son. That this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. And so again, we see faith at work here. And so God is here for us today to remind us that you are his son, that you are his daughter in whom he is well pleased. As you respond to him today by faith, saying, God, I desire more. God, I want to go deeper. God, I, I, enough is enough. I'm ready to leave behind this old life, this old nature, that he sees your faith. He sees and he is pleased and delighted in you today. Because we live in a world that has identity confused. The world tells us that by this age, you need to have this. If you grew up here, you're going to be like this. By this socioeconomic status, you should have this. And so we try to live up to these standards that we cannot measure up to. But God is coming to redeem and redefine who we are, sons and daughters of the Most High. We are joint heirs with Christ in his kingdom to walk with a new power, to walk with a new authority. And we see that here demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So why did God choose to do this? Why did God choose to use baptism as a demonstration for that? Is it really important to be baptized? Well, I hope here today, my prayer is that whether you've been baptized, whether you haven't been baptized, that you see the importance that God has placed on not only the work and the one-time experience of baptism, but the daily renewal, saying baptized in the Holy Spirit, believing for a life that is walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And we, we see in the book of Acts, we see that when people were saved, it says that they were saved and then baptized. Saved and baptized. Saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So we believe in that same power. That same power is with us today. And even as we close this morning, there's a story, find it in the book of Acts. The apostle Philip. Philip was, was evangelizing, teaching. We see in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and be, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And to set this story up, it was an encounter that Philip had, a supernatural encounter, because God literally translated him out of the scene right after this. So, talking about coming in and, and coming out. But we see that Philip, on this journey, on this road, encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch in this story is reading from the book of Isaiah. And even more so, he was reading from the chapter, chapter 53, that's prophesying of Jesus who in the scripture was to come. Philip came to him at, at the opportune time, and he asked him if he understood what he was reading. And so he begins to share with him the gospel. And it says here, then Philip opened up his mouth, began from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized in this moment? There was something that Philip said, there was something special about the message of the gospel in that man's life that caused him to want to go deeper. 
It started off by the fact that he was reading from the Old Testament. Not knowing that the risen Savior had not only come into this world, but had already died, lived a life, and had been resurrected into the heavens. And I believe even as he was reading that scripture, that the Holy Spirit began to do something in his heart that said, I know that there's more. I'm reading this prophecy. I'm reading the Old Testament prophet. And I know that there's got to be more. And so Philip ran into him at the opportune time, shared with him the message of the gospel. And it was that message, it was the work of Jesus Christ who died and rose again that was the answer to what he was looking for. It was the answer to the more that he had to desire for. Philip got in the water with him, baptized him. God said, that's all I needed you for. I'm going to take you out. He translated him to another place, literally. And so for those of us that are here today, again, whether we've been baptized, whether we have not taken that step, I want to ask you the question, what would prevent you from going deeper? And even as the eunuch asked that question, the story was perfect. There was a body of water right next to him. When he asked the question, what would prevent me from being baptized? The answer was already there. So God is not a God that would make it difficult. He says, hey, all you got to do is take a step. He got out of his chariot and he walked into those waters and his life was set free. So today for us, some of us, it's a step coming up to the altar. We have a prayer team that's here to pray with you. Others, it's renewing that hunger, that fire in your life that you once had. It's a refresh. It's a reboot. It's a regeneration of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, living and living out that newness of life that God has called you to. Others, maybe you've, you've, you've accepted Christ, but you haven't yet taken that step to be baptized. Yeah, I read an interesting statistic that said today the number of people that are getting baptized in the church is down by 25% than what it was a generation ago. But my prayer today is that even by hearing of this word, a stirring in your spirit, that God would call you to take that step, to go deeper. Timing is perfect. Later this month, April 28th, we have a baptism service. So we want to encourage you to take that step. Tonight, we also have a healing service, the Freedom Night. So we encourage you. If you don't want to waste any time, you, want, you can still get baptized on the 28th. But if you want to come back tonight at 5 o'clock and take that step, what would prevent you from doing that if it meant your breakthrough, if it meant experiencing more of what God has for you? I don't want to just stay in the first grade. I want to move on. I don't want to repeat any grades. I want to be able to move forward in God. What would keep you from doing that today? And so if you desire to get baptized, we ask, there's a card on the back of the pew in front of you. There's a card that indicates if you desire to get baptized, you can fill this out. Jan Renee over here on my right will take that from you. And on that day, actually, we have a class, but we said, hey, we're going to be preaching on baptism during the service. There's no need for those who are here to take that class. Amen. So you can just come. She'll send you details by email. 
and what to expect. But even as we come to a close today, I want to give the opportunity for those of you who maybe have not yet committed your life to Christ. In Romans, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that you shall be saved. And begin a life of repentance, a life where you're going in one direction and now going in a new one. A new operating system, a new nature has begun its work. It's maturing, it's developing, it's becoming the fullness of what God has called you to be. And so today, I just ask that you open up your hearts and everyone stand as we pray this morning and close out this service. Father God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, Lord God. I pray for every distraction, Lord God, every distracting thought right now to be bound in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I pray, oh God, that your word would come in like a two-edged sword, Lord God, and cut asunder, Lord God, even the very things, the nature, that who you've called us to be, Lord God, so that we could step forth with power, we could step forward in truth. Lord God, I pray, oh God, for every heart that's here, Lord, I pray that you would do that work. Whatever that next step looks like of going deeper in you, Lord, I pray that you would cause there to be a, a holy hunger, a holy fire, Lord God, that they would be filled and satisfied by your spirit. For those who have never accepted Christ, I want you to repeat after, actually everybody. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me to live this life as a pattern, as an example for me. To die on the cross and to bear my burdens. To bury forever death, hell, and the grave. And to be resurrected with the power of God. I believe in that work. I believe in Jesus. Today, I repent from my old ways. I repent from a sinful life. And I take a step today to commit my life to Jesus. And with the hope and the dream of living in eternity with him forever. Amen. Those of you who prayed that prayer for the first time. We want to welcome you into the kingdom. We want to celebrate that. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes into the kingdom.